0: Welcome to the Desert City Church Podcast. What you are about to hear is a sermon given at one of our Sunday gatherings. We invite you to listen to how Scripture is forming our new church. We are in a series entitled Desert City Originals, and we are talking about our vision, DNA, and dreams as a church. We are almost three years in and feel like we're just getting started. Our hope is this message will help you become more like Jesus. As you pursue God, may you find your true self. If you have any questions or things we can pray for, let us know grace, peace, and much love. This passage is known as the Great Commission. Words that Jesus gave his disciples after the resurrection, commissioning them for a purpose, to be a particular people here on earth. We're a part of this commissioning as a church. Uh, We're in a series right now called Desert Desert City Originals. We've been talking about kind of uh, who we are, where we came from, what our DNA is, what we value, where we're going. And it all kind of starts back in the first century with the story of Jesus. Sounds like there's some exciting things happening in the hallway right now. <laughs> Everything's under control, promise. <laughs> <Whew>. <laughs> uh, but as we have set out to plant this church, uh, today I want to tell a little bit about our story and, and our story starts with this calling from Jesus. And I think Jesus' essential calling was to plant churches. That might be a confusing. Reason. The reason I believe that is because he tells us to go and to make disciples. To make disciples, people who uh, who who follow the way of Jesus and, and act like Jesus in this world. A mission statement of any church could be to. Make disciples who make disciples who make more disciples. It can be that simple. The reason that I think this is also a call to church planting is that discipleship, the process of becoming more like Jesus, was never meant to be an individualistic calling. And that we live in a culture that's very individualistic. We're very independent. we're very private. And so this, the whole idea of like processing everything in a group, even, that could be something that's foreign to us. But as Jesus is talking about this idea of discipleship, the calling is, uh, there, there's a certain otherness that takes place in the story of Christianity, how we do life together. And we know this is true because the rest of the New Testament is spent uh, trying to form these groups of Jesus people together it's what we now know, know they're called churches. Churches, they're communities of Jesus' people. The Apostle Paul spends most of his time teaching us how do we interact in community. And we we live in this culture where we we think we can very much know Jesus on our own without community. And, And there's almost even this thought of like a churchless Christian where it's just between me and God and I don't need other people. And that's understandable, like, in our culture, because being a part of a community is really difficult. Being a part of a church is really difficult. Because people are messy, and we're broken. And sometimes it's easier to not have to, you know, share everyone else's problems when I have enough problems of my own, or not to have to share my problems with other people. Being a part of a church is messy. And yet there's something about a group of people who are committed to the way of Jesus that's powerful. And Jesus' desire is to make disciples who come together and share in this way of life and this mission. I've heard one person say that churches are laboratories where disciples are made. I like that idea. We're a laboratory where disciples are made. We try to become more like Jesus, and we produce people who uh, become more like Jesus. Leslie Newbegin, as a pastor and author, says that the church is a sign, an instrument, and a foretaste of God's kingdom here on earth. That's why churches are essential. It's this group of people who we point others to God. We point others toward this eternal reality We point others towards salvation. We are the sign in culture. We're also an instrument of reconciliation, of freedom, an instrument of peace, an instrument of life in a community, in a foretaste of heaven. We talk about this idea of heaven, the kingdom of God, as this future destination, but it's also this present reality that we catch glimpses of here and now. And it's hard to be a part of a church because churches are full of people and we're dysfunctional, and many churches can be dysfunctional. And yet at the same time, there's a beauty about a community of people who are committed to the way of Jesus, who are transformed by the way of Jesus. It can be a foretaste of heaven. And as we talk about who we want to be as a community, we want to be a community that is a foretaste of heaven. So the life that takes place here, the relationships that are built, the things that we learn are all part of this kingdom of God, this culture of heaven. From Jesus, we see the disciples going around and building these churches, these little communities of people. And probably the one that is most famous is the Apostle Paul. Right? He writes a lot of the New Testament. But I want to look at a couple of stories, because I feel like it's interesting how we find our own story in the midst of this story. But Paul's strategy was to plant these Jesus communities throughout the world. In Acts chapter 19, there's a story in Ephesus. It says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He with them daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So here's a story of Paul going to this town called Ephesus, and he's starting churches. And one of the places that he goes, it's not really working out, and then he goes to the lecture hall of Tyrannus. I like the name Tyrannus. It reminds me of a dinosaur. We don't know much about Tyrannus, but we know it's a lecture hall, which means this. The church in Ephesus started in a school, as many churches do. This church starts in a school, Uh, When we had considered uh, kind of our calling uh, to start a church in the Desert Ridge area, there were a lot of things that we considered. Some of you know the history uh, of this community. This community was built when I was in high school. I went to one of the local high schools here, and I I was kind of watched Desert Ridge grow up, uh, watched it develop. Uh, A lot of people moved in. Um, Things were going well. And then the market crashes in 2007, 2008. Um, And a lot of people get stuck in houses here, right? Desert Ridge gets hit probably harder than a lot of places in our city. Um, The first 10 years or so of this community, there were a number of churches that came here uh, that were also affected by the economy. Um, By the time we had decided to plant, we had had a heart for this community. We'd been watching kind of like, what's the spiritual landscape here? And when we decided to finally come in here, there was only one other church in this community. And so there are a lot of Christians in the Desert Ridge area, many of them drive out to other places. But now, after two, almost three years, we're the only church in this community uh, that I know of, and I feel like I I know the community well. A lot of people will drive out to other places, uh, but this is a community of almost 20,000 people. 20,000 people. Uh, The average says that about 15% of people uh, would be evangelical Christians. You could do the math of the opportunity there is for a church here uh, to connect with the community. And so as we came in, uh, we said, we we want to establish a faithful presence in this community. Uh, And the way that we did that was we found this school. And we said, let's go and just start meeting in this school, start gathering. And we started to do that with about 30 people. Some of you were here for that day. Most of you were not. Um, I always joke when someone comes to the church and they're new, they're like, I feel like everyone knows each other. And I'm like, no, everyone's new. No one knows each other really well. I mean, everyone's new, except for my family. You know, you probably meet. There's about 30 of them uh, that are here. Um, But our idea was, let's start in the, it's like a lecture hall of Tyrannus. It's a school. Let's inhabit this public place and just start gathering on Sundays. Start to get to know the community more. And so we did that for two years. And here we are. If everyone's here, which rarely happens, we have about 200 people in our community. It's been amazing to watch the growth here. It's exciting to see what God's doing. Uh, We are so excited for what's happening here with all the new faces, all the new people that are connecting. Um, But our heart is for Desert Ridge. The other thing that we love about Desert Ridge is it's right off the 101, not far from the 51. And so we have a number of people that are traveling from all over the city to be here. And we feel like they can get here somewhat quickly. So we feel like not only does Desert Ridge have a huge need for an expression of the body of Christ, but it's accessible to the rest of the city. And we live in this mega-burb, right? That's what Phoenix is called, this mega-suburb. Uh, and, and we want to be accessible uh, to other places. And so our thought was this would be a great place for a church. It needs a church. And it's also a place that could have city-wide impact because of uh, transportation, So we came in, started meeting in a school. Continue to read kind of Paul's strategy. This church in Ephesus starts in a school. In Acts 17, Paul goes to Athens. We know about Athens, if you know about Greek mythology, Athens was this intellectual capital of the world, of the ancient world. And Paul goes there and he starts a church. And what we find is that it's a pretty challenging context to start a church. Paul's met with all sorts of resistance. He goes in there, he starts preaching the message, and he just gets rejected. But he keeps at it, and he keeps saying, "Uh, you're preaching uh, this, this gospel message of salvation, of hope, of the kingdom of God. And after meeting resistance, there's a story that takes place in Acts 17, verse 22 for 23. It says, then Paul stood up in a meeting, and he said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription. To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So Paul, it's interesting he says, he's met with resistance, but he keeps going at it and he says this. I walked around and I looked carefully. I walked around And I looked carefully. He he kind of observes what's going on in Athens. And he realizes that the people in Athens, they're very spiritual people. They have all sorts of things that they worship. They have all sorts of things that they find their worth in. And then he finds this inscription of an unknown God, and he says, here's my, my end in the conversation. This image of the unknown God, I'm going to proclaim to you what that is. And what we find is that there's a church that gets started here. But what's interesting is it, it gets started not because Paul just shows up and starts preaching. He walks around and he looks carefully at the community. He walks around and he looks carefully. If I could describe what the first two years for us has been as a church plant of the many things that we've done, I feel like this is something that we've been doing from the beginning is walking around and looking carefully. What is it that God is up to in this community? Where are their needs? Where are places we can help? Uh, what are some of the idols of our community? What are some of the longings of our community? What are the brokenness? And it, we don't have all these like grand strategies of how we're going to do this as much as we're looking around and we're walking and we're listening. We want to know what's going on here. And as a church, how can we join in? One of the things that we identified early Um, in this community is that there's a lot of mobile workers. A lot of people work from home, work for coffee shops, drive into the city, and one of the things that we thought would be a great way for us to become sustainable and to have a faithful presence here uh, would be to create a community center. And when we first got into the school, we had kind of like a two-year window that we could be in here. Uh, Since then, we've built a great relationship with the school and they were letting us stay, knock on wood, and so we had this urgency like, we need to find like, the next thing as a church. And so one of the things that we thought was, uh, for a community center, a place where the community can gather throughout the week. And our thought was, what if we created a business that did co-working office space, had childcare for all the working moms in the community, for moms who need uh, to go and have uh, some sort of a play date. It would this be a place of incredible childcare where they could work. And then a place that had killer coffee because there's like two Starbucks and Desert Ridge, maybe three. Uh, But there isn't really like this local gathering of coffee. And like we love coffee at Desert City, I don't know if you've noticed, between Tom and Gabe and the cold brew. And our thought was like, what if we had created almost like this this hybrid business slash church where we can get space in either Desert Ridge or High Street, and the the community could use it throughout the week, it could bring in some income, uh, and then the church could use it on Sunday. So we had this great plan. Uh, went out and we actually uh, brought in uh, Elevate Coffee Shop up in Norterra, had them consult with us, uh, looked at Hope Church. I don't know if some of you know Hope Church up in Norterra with Paul Sorensen, kind of helped walk us through this feasibility analysis to say, is it feasible for us to do this? Went through this whole business plan, met with leaders at Desert Ridge and High Street, and did about a six month research project, a feasibility analysis. And at the end of the feasibility analysis, you know what we found but it probably wasn't feasible. <laughs> probably wasn't feasible. The way the prices are right now, the size of our community, and we love the idea, we love the plan of what this could be for the community, uh, but we felt like the time wasn't right yet. So going into last summer, our thought was we need to continue to walk around, to look carefully, to get to know people, and we need to continue to grow as a church. So we focused this last year a lot on infrastructure. Uh, a lot of the things that, that as we had kind of, been moving off of uh, support from our local churches, moving off their bylaws, uh, creating structure within our community. And it's been very healthy, it's been very good. There's some things we're excited to share later on in October. Um, And then also just grow. And we've brought in a couple um, staff people, uh, as you've noticed this last year, they've been wonderful. Um, And our thought was, let's just continue to to look carefully, uh, to walk around, see what God's up to, and grow as a community. And we're in the process of doing that. We have plans that we want to continue to grow this way. Uh, The way that it's been growing right now, it's healthy. And we're a very relational church and it's hard to stay that way when we grow. So we're trying to figure out how do we like have that tension of like, I want to know people. um, And I also want us to be able to grow and influence here. And so we're kind of in the process of that right now. This idea of walking around and looking carefully. And as we get ready for year three, and as we walk around and we look carefully, there's a couple things that have come to the surface here in Desert Ridge. There's some, I think, cultural longings that we've gotten to know as we've been in this city. And of course, I don't think it's just contained within Desert Ridge. I think this is like a North Phoenix, uh, a North Valley uh, issue that we feel like we're tapping into. As we serve in these communities, as we work with families, young couples, individuals, empty nesters. I feel like there's three longings that I want to really pursue and go after. And I think this shapes who we are moving forward. Some of it will be like, oh, that's so simple, no duh. some of it's like, this is why we do things the way that we do them. So I want to talk about these three longings as we've kind of walked around and looked carefully. The first of the three longings is a longing for transcendence. A longing for transcendence. Transcendence is the longing for something that is greater. A knowledge that there is more to the world than just the natural. There's something supernatural going on. And I think as I meet with people, there's this this longing for something that is bigger than the world that we just see here and now. We're tapping into something that is eternal and divine. We live in a community that is very spiritual. We live in a community that longs to worship. And that transcendence uh, is something that's deep inside all of us. I love what Augustine said. He says that our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, right? This idea that there's this, this longing inside of us for transcendence, for something more than just what we see here in the natural world. Psalm 34 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. We're eternal creatures. We have an eternal destiny, an eternal home. And because of that, there's these longings deep inside of all of us, almost like this eternal itch that we try to scratch. A longing for a transcendent. One of the things that we do here as we worship on Sunday, as we gather, is to create a place for us to encounter God. We create a place for us to encounter Jesus. We create a place for this transcendence to be met. We call it sacred. It's a word that we use. So even here in this public school, in this cafeteria, when we set up and tear down each week, this place becomes something that's sacred. And there's something about a group of people when they come together and they worship together and they read the scripture and they hear the story, the Holy Spirit meets us in this place. And something divine happens. There's this divine encounter. We have this longing to encounter Jesus. And to do that, we do that every week. We create this rhythm of this Sunday morning. We come together as a community in this sacred space. What happens is when we do this rhythmically over time, when we do this consistently, it forms us to be a certain kind of people. it's so, like, it means so much that when you are here, because you contribute to this environment. And so, like, I always say, like, as a pastor, like, I just want everyone to be here every week, right? Because, like, my own, like, ego is caught up in our attendance and yada, yada. But then there's also this understanding that the more that we gather together, the more that we do this consistently and rhythmically, the more we encounter the sacred together. We have an encounter with Jesus. The Holy Spirit moves through us. This longing for transcendence is met. Churches have been doing this for thousands of years prayer, worship. So many of these different elements, the sacrament, becomes sacred because they attach us to a story that's much bigger than just the temporary lives that we live. There's this longing for transcendence. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is something that we continue to do. It's something that, one of the reasons that we, we want to have our own space uh, is uh, for us we, that hopefully the school is temporary, but, but this location in this community is, is long-term. Because we want to create a place that becomes a sanctuary for this community. And the people who have a longing for transcendence can come and encounter the sacred. Second longing is longing for purpose. This has to do a little bit with the transcendence. This, this longing for purpose... That there's more to life than just myself. That I'm a part of a bigger story. I'm a part of uh, building something that's going to outlast me. I'm a part of a church that is global and historic. And that I'm giving my life to something that's bigger than myself. Let's talk about this idea of of purpose. A lot has been said of of what our purpose is. Last week I talked about uh, as we give our lives away, We find our true self. As we give our lives away, our lives grow. The story of the kingdom, the math of the kingdom, the economics of the kingdom of God is the more that I give myself to God and to others, the more that I receive in return. And it's not that I do it to receive, but it's I'm wired to participate in life that's bigger than myself. We have this longing for purpose. Uh, earlier this week, I was hanging out with Gabe Sly. We were over at his house and uh, having a conversation about the church and talking about how he got connected to the church. And I uh, started talking about how much he's uh, excited about where this is hanging. And he's been around since almost the beginning, uh, pretty much the beginning, and seen kind of where we started. And one of the things that Gabe said that just struck me, I thought it was so uh, really encouraging for me as a pastor, because sometimes I'm like, People get is anyone is anyone else excited about this? <laughs> you know? Uh the kid was talking about this idea of being able to look back like 10, 15 years from now and say, look where God has taken us on this journey. Like, look where we started and look where we've come in this time. Hopefully it won't be in this room still, like 10 years from now, right? Um but one thing he said is like we, we're excited to have this conversation with our daughter Lucy when she's a teenager to say we were a part of that. We were a part of that from very early on. And we gotta see where God t- took it. I thought that is, that is living life with purpose. Like some of us just have like this entrepreneurial itch as well, right? Like we just like to be a part of things that start from the ground up. But I thought about that, like to, to, like, to give our life to something that's bigger than all of us, that's bigger than me, that's bigger than my family, that's bigger than uh, each one of you, but points people to God what great purpose we live with to say we were a part of helping establish this local expression of the body of Christ. And we didn't do it for our own glory, our own sense of accomplishment. But we get to look back and say, what a journey we've been on. We have this longing for purpose, to give our life to something that's bigger than ourselves. A lot of us in this room are very young. Uh, I like to say that I'm a millennial by one year. I get attacked by both Gen X and Millennial about how I'm not so, Um, but we don't often think long term as young people. And really, ten years isn't very long, but to be a part of something over time, to give myself to something, to live life on purpose—I believe that's how the kingdom of God works. There's this longing to say, "I want to give my life to something significant." I feel like here at Desert City, we're inviting you into that story. The great thing about a new church is that we're laying this cultural foundation. And if you see there's something that we need to do this or we need to do that, my response is join in, jump in, help build. God's given you gifts and passions, and we have needs, and this community has needs. To line you up with what God designed you to do. We have this longing for purpose, to know that what we're doing is meaningful and significant. A couple of things, how this plays out for us, individually and corporately. For a church, we have a desire to be a church to establish that community here, but also to meet needs in the city and to meet needs in this world. We're excited to announce over the next three months a couple of different service projects that we'd love to have you get involved in. We feel like our church has a purpose here. Uh, One of the things that you know uh, is Teach One to Lead One. Uh, It's a mentoring program that works in our school system. Uh, It's a faith-based organization that doesn't necessarily talk about uh, Jesus, but it talks about what we think are biblical principles of leadership. Uh, There's different ways to get involved. We have a couple different fundraisers. There's a bowling event coming up, so you can bowl and raise funds for this great organization. Um, You could also volunteer once a week mentoring. That's a bigger commitment. Uh, we have a number of people that mentor. Uh, you could talk to them and just hear their stories of meeting with, with children each week and talking about leadership. It's an amazing organization uh, that we're a part of here at Desert City. Second thing, in September, one of our local partners is called UMom. It's, a, it's a, one of the largest homeless shelters here in Phoenix, works specifically with, with women and children. Uh, we periodically do events with them Uh, In September, we do uh, a 5K walk at the Phoenix Zoo. Uh, I think it's uh, September 23rd. It's in your worship folder, don't quote me on the date. Um, It's a great way to serve and to give back and to partner with an organization that's working with some of the most broken places of our city. Um, So if you like to walk and you like the zoo, it's a great thing to get involved with. You also get a ticket to the zoo for the day, so um, there is something in it for you. But we're putting together a team uh, to do this walk together. We're excited about that, that's in September. Then in October, we're gonna be doing something completely new. Some of you know uh, Robert and Christine at Altavilla, she just started coming to our church recently. Uh, we've known them uh, through Sophia's school. Uh, Christine works with World Vision, and uh, some of you know like what World Vision does throughout the world, um, an amazing organization. Uh, she helps organize marathon runs in half marathon runs. And so in early October, we're gonna have um, someone come and share about a way to get involved with World Vision through running. If any of you like to run, awesome. If you don't like to run, we're gonna challenge you. I don't like to run. You like you're so good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so uh, yes, yeah, so we're, we're excited about that for October and that's gonna take us into, the, uh, into Christmas. I think the, the marathon's in February. Um, so another way to get involved uh, with, our, with our city and with our world. And then just recently, uh, we announced our first global partner uh, with a community in Costa Rica. And as a church, I feel like, you know, we're a small church that is a tri- trying to establish something here, but we want to be involved with what's going on beyond our church in the city and in the world. And so we felt like it was time to build a relationship uh, in the developing world. And so we've adopted a missionary couple that lives in Costa Rica we're looking at doing a vision trip this winter, and possibly our first mission trip as a church in the summer of 2018, Lord willing. Uh, Danny Slyke, uh, the dentist, some of you know Danny, um, apparently he speaks Spanish, we think. Uh, he's going to kind of run point on that trip uh, coming up. And as we think about like our purpose as followers of Jesus and our purpose as a church, when we start to join God and live life on purpose, uh, what happens is we we become a compassionate people. We're a people of justice. We're a people of generosity. And we wanna continue to do that even as we're trying to establish something new here and now. We wanna join these different causes of justice in our world. Third longing. The third longing is for community. The longing for community. So we have a longing for transcendence, for purpose and community. And this is kind of maybe like one of those no-duh, right? Like, we all want community. But authentic community where we do life together. In the New Testament, as Paul's planting these churches, there's this call, there's this phrase that occurs over and over. And the phrase is, life with one another. Life with one another. The way that we live life. And this is why I think discipleship's not just like an individualistic calling. It's a community calling. We're called to live life with one another. Jesus says this. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And then there's this list. There's actually over 30 uh, one another Commands in the New Testament. I'll go through these briefly. When I put up big notes like this, my wife's always like, No one could read that. If you want to, you could just take a picture of it. (laughs) But listen to these words of how we're supposed to live life with one another in the church. It says, Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Live in harmony with one another. Instruct one another. Serve one another humbly in love. Be patient, bearing with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Encourage one another. Encourage one another daily. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. There's something, both offering hospitality and then without grumbling. Uh, fellowship with one another. There's over thirty phrases like this where it talks about how we do life with one another. Life in a church is messy. It's hard. It's challenging. But there's this deep longing for community especially in our city. We want to know people. We want to be known. We want to know that people can know us and know the dark things about us and still love us. There's this primal need for connection. And within the context of a church, people, Jesus people who do life together, it's a beautiful thing. It's a hard thing. It takes time. Different ways that we do this are community groups. Community groups is one. The other is hospitality. We're a church that loves to eat together, right? I think the more that we can have each other over for dinner, uh, the better. That takes initiative, though. That takes clearing schedules. That takes risk to let people into our houses. But our desire is for Desert City to be a place of authentic community. That takes time. It's something that we want to keep. All right, one of the reasons we do this 10-minute party right in the middle of our service It's because we don't want you to come to church and not experience the one another's. And sometimes that might be strange. If you're an introvert, you know, it's like, oh, man, I don't want to go there and have to talk to anyone. Um, But we invite you to this life of doing life with one another. I think it's a beautiful thing. Kind of returning to Athens, and I'll close with this. This church gets founded in Athens uh, by Paul. He looks around carefully, walks the area, sees the longings of the community. And I feel like that's something we do, too. But there's this, uh, this man that comes out of the Athens Church, and he's a Greek philosopher, and his name is uh, Arist- Aristides, Aristides, not Aristotle, Aristides. He's an intellectual, and he becomes a Christian. And in the second century and this is kind of odd to find a Greek philosopher who becomes a Christian. But he, he writes this apology for the church to the emperor of Rome. And the emperor is Hadrian. Uh, you might know Hadrian. Uh, he built a huge wall in, uh, in England, Hadrian's Wall. It's probably the only thing, really one of the things he's known for. But Aristides writes this apology, and he's saying, here's why I've become a Christian. This is what the church is doing. And he says these words, and I think it's beautiful. He says, but the Christians show kindness to those near them. And whenever they are judges, they judge uprightly. They do good to their enemies. And if one of them have bondsmen and bondswomen or children, through love towards them, they persuade them to become Christians. And when they have done so, they call them brethren without distinction. That would have been radical in this culture. They do not worship strange gods, and they go their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them. For they love one another. And he who has gives to him who has not, without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes, and they rejoice over him as a brother. And if they hear that one of the number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity. And if there is any among them that is poor and needy, and they have no spare food, They fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. Such, O king, is their manner of life. And verily, this is a new people, and there is something divine in the midst of them. I love that last phrase. Verily, we never use that word, it's a great word. Verily, this is a new people, and there is something divine in the midst of is what I consider who we are as a church and where we're going. Deep in our DNA, what I want us to be is a church that meets these heart longings of our culture, a longing for transcendence, a longing for purpose, a longing for community. And verily, we will be a new people and the divine will be in our midst and people will see that. So this plays out our Sunday gatherings, Continue to gather here. Uh, This plays out serving in different ways, whether we're serving in the church or serving outside of the church with these ministries that we're a part of, and connecting with community groups, opening up our homes, having dinner, being hospitable towards each other. These are things that I want to do well as a community. These are the reasons that we invite you to be a part of this on Sunday. When you are here, It enhances the environment. And it helps us all be formed into the image of God. And we invite you in what we're doing and where we're going to partake, to join in, to help build. Each week, this part of transcendence is there's something sacred that we do as we close our time together. We take the sacrament, communion, the Eucharist. We have different names for it, the Lord's Supper. But we feel like each week uh, we do this regularly and rhythmically because it connects us to the story that we're all a part of. The story of what God has done in this world through Jesus and the story that we proclaim as a church. So the band's gonna come back up and wanna just reflect on this story and spend some time in prayer. Today's message was kind of informational, a little bit of kind of where we've been and what our desire is to be as a community. But in all of this, everything that we do is centered on this one moment. This sacred moment. We're reminded of how Jesus came to earth, walked among us, revealed God to us, loved us so much that he went to the cross, broke his body open, poured his blood out to absorb the sin and the brokenness of the world so that we may have life. We live in a world that is very broken. But we join God in the reconciliation, the renewal of human beings, the reconciliation of all things when we join this story. To be a part of a church is to be a part of the body of Christ. It's to remember and to proclaim this message. We invite you to the table today. We invite you into what this church is doing moving forward. And we invite you into this relationship with God that is eternal. Let us consider these things today as we come to the table. Let us spend time in prayer reflecting. And when you're ready, take the body. Take the juice that represents the blood. Remember and proclaim. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for loving us. Lord, we're eternal beings. We have all these longings in our hearts that the world just can't fulfill. It always leaves us in complete longing for more. Lord, we want to be a place where people encounter you and their longings are met with your eternal life. Lord, we want to be a people who live lives of meaning, who have great purpose. Lord, that after years and years of this journey, we look back and say, You did something significant through us, something that could only be done because you were in it. Lord, we ask for the courage and wisdom to live such a way. In light, Life is so much better with people. Lord, I ask for the strength uh, for community. That in the midst of our own brokenness and dysfunction, Lord, that we hold each other up. We encourage one another. We share with one another. We love one another. Lord, I pray that Desert City would be a place of safety be a place of peace, It'd be a place where we are known, that you would give us the courage, Lord, to share life together. Lord, we're so grateful for your love, and we would just ask that your love would flow out of us to each other today. In your son's name we pray, amen. When you're ready, you can move to the table.